Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And one of the awful things about this book is we just see Israel just in this in this constant roller coaster action of 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 conquering their enemies and then getting comfortable and complacent and then going back into their sinful lifestyle and serving the false gods in the in the places that God had brought them into and because they didn't wipe out those enemies like God told them to do like He commanded them to do they dwelt with them they intermarried with them and before long they began worshiping their gods and bringing the judgment of God upon them. Welcome, everyone, to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. The scripture that starts out chapter 3 of the book of Judges is that he might test Israel by them. It was within the power of God to eliminate those pagan nations that were left without any help from Israel. God allowed the troublesome peoples to remain for a reason. The word test here is used in the sense of proving These nations would remain because God wanted to prove to Israel their faithfulness to him and to improve their reliance on him. God doesn't just instantly change every area of our lives so that our relationship with him is perfect immediately. So he tests our steps until we get it right. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. So if you could please, let's open up to Judges chapter 3. Last week, we looked at Judges chapter 2, and tonight, we're going to be getting into Judges chapter 3, and the book of Judges is really an, a, really a, a, a difficult book. It's a sad book, and the reason it's sad is because God had given so much to the children of Israel over the years, through the desert. Uh, he prepared them in Egypt. He brought them through the desert for 40 years. He provided for them food and shelter, uh, water, uh, and even shoes on their feet. Um, you know, God gave them everything, even His very presence in the midst of them. I mean, think about that. I mean, they could look out their tent and they could look toward the center of the gathering and they could see there in the camp, they could see the tabernacle and the the cloud of pillar at, at night and, uh, and, and, the, and the, the cloud that followed them. Uh, or that led them by the day in the pillar of fire at night. And if you were to see a sight like that, what would you think? And how would that change you to know that the very God who created all things is in your midst? We know that He's with us even now. Because His Word is true. Where two or more are gathered in His midst, there He is. Or Where two or more are gathered, there He is in the midst of them. And so we have that confidence, we have that assurance, we have that blessing of knowing that God is with us. And so as we look at this book, um, it is a, a book of failure, really, because they should have, the children of Israel, they should have had every opportunity, and they did, to demonstrate obedience to the Lord and to prove that uh, obedience by 
by doing the things that God had told them to do. And, and yet, lest we get uh, too hard on the Israelites, we have to remember that it doesn't matter what people group you belong to. If, um, if the Irish were the people coming out of Egypt, if it were the Italians, sorry, Pastor David, or it could have been the Germans, it could have been any, it could have been the Filipinos, it could have been a, a whole host of people. The, the heart of man is essentially the same. And uh, God knows this. And, and that's why he had to prove them in the wilderness. Uh, he already knew what was in their heart, but they needed to know. And one of the awful things about this book is we just see Israel just in this, in this constant roller coaster action of, of, of conquering their enemies and then getting comfortable and complacent and then going back into their sinful lifestyle and serving the false gods in the, in the places that God had brought them into. And because they didn't wipe out those enemies like God told them to do, like he commanded them to do, they dwelt with them, they intermarried with them, and before long they began worshiping their gods and bringing the judgment of God upon them. And God would use their neighbors all around them to come in, and God used them as a tool to chasten his children. And, and then they would cry out, and then God would um, have pity on them, and he would raise up a judge, um, someone like um, Samson or Gideon, or uh, as we'll see tonight, uh, Othniel or Ehud. And so God is very gracious, but we, we see this book a, a very difficult thing. And last week we looked at chapter 2, and we saw... Uh, remember that the uh, the book of Joshua, I'm sorry, the book of um, Joshua, yes, and the book of Judges, they really dovetail. These last, these first two chapters of Judges really dovetail the last part of Joshua. That's why in chapter 2 of Judges we see the death of Joshua. And then we see in verses 11 through 19, we see that, that uh, unfortunate uh, cycle that the children of Israel got into uh, that I just uh, shared with you, and, and that really describes it all in detail, really from chapter 11 down through chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11 down through verse 19. And um, we did get into the first seven verses, but let's look at the first seven verses, and we're going to look at all of chapter 3 tonight. And so let's read just the first um, uh, seven verses, six verses of chapter 3, and then we'll go back and take a look at them, and then we'll continue on with the rest of the chapter it says, now these are the nations which the Lord left. In other words, the, the nations that God left in the land that they were supposed to completely destroy, to eradicate, to dispossess. These are the nations which the Lord left. And, and the Lord didn't leave them, but he, it's, it's speaking as if God left them, but he left them there because he was going to prove to Israel their, their own heart. And he's going to chasten them. Uh, through this. Now these are the uh, nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left that he might test Israel by them to know, notice that, it almost sounds like God's learning something here, but it's really not the way it is, that he, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they forsook their 
I'm sorry, and they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to be their sons. And notice, this is the most horrible thing of it all, and they served their gods. If it wasn't bad enough that they started to intermingle in their marriages, which God told them not to do, now they are serving their gods. And such is the way for us. God tells us to stay away from certain things. He he gives us prohibition about certain things. And we think better. We like to think that we've learned a lot. And maybe you're mature and maybe you have some life experience behind you. And you think, well, I can, I can do it and not get caught. Or I can do it better than so-and-so. And I won't get as far as that person did who got, got in trouble. I'll get right to the edge. And see, the problem is that's the deceitfulness of sin. We get right to the edge and then the enemy presents us something else and we think we can handle it. And he just keeps giving us more rope, more rope. And then finally there comes a point when you go to reach for the rope and it's no longer there and you fall. And we fall. And so we need to take heed to these things as well because they're no different than we are. There's a verse in the Bible that says, The Lord fashions our hearts alike and he knows that we are dust. He fashions our hearts alike and he knows that we are dust. And so, let's go back to verse 1 there. It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not formerly known any of the wars in Canaan. Now, underline the word test there because you're going to see it down in a couple verses underneath this. And, and this literally means what it sounds like. It is to test. It's to prove. It's to try. You know, God does. He, he tests us. He proves us. He proves us. In fact, it's it's used in the book of Judges five times. We see it here. Uh, we saw, actually see it in chapter 2, uh, verse 22. We see it here in, in the first verse. We see it in the fourth verse of this chapter that we're looking at. We see it in Judges 6, verse 39. And we also see it in Judges 7, verse 4. In all of these instances, it means the exact same thing. It means to prove and to try and, and again, uh, we have to understand that the Lord obviously knows the answer. He doesn't need to test anything or anyone so that he can gain information. He does that so that we might know where we stand. Because I have this way of deceiving myself, and God won't have it. He says, uh, uh, you think you know yourself, and you think that you wouldn't do a certain thing. Under certain circumstances, I would not do this. And the Lord says, Wow. You don't really know yourself. And the truth of the matter is, is that we can be in a situation and under the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances, at the wrong time, many of us would be surprised what we would be willing to do or would do out of our own um, volition. And so we should never trust in ourselves. We should always trust the Lord. And so never trust in the heart of man. Never trust in princes, but trust in the Lord. Never trust in the horse's feet and the the horse's legs, as as the psalmist says. Don't trust in any of those things. Don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in the things that everyone else trusts in, because all those things have holes in them. They're like broken cisterns. A cistern is supposed to hold water, but a broken cistern is one that has the promise of something and yet doesn't really deliver. The water is leaking out little by little, and every night you're noticing that the level is getting a little lower and a little lower. Pretty soon you have no water. And that's what the world does to us. That's what Satan likes to do to us. But the Lord knew when he tested them, when it says there that he tested the children of Israel, 
it means that he knew the answer, but they needed to understand. They needed to come to an understanding of who they are. So the Lord knows. In fact, I would encourage you to read Psalm 139. It's one of the greatest psalms when it speaks of omniscience, God's all-knowing. He knows everything and also his omnipresence, that he is in all places at once. He, that, that's one of the things that um, the Spirit of God is in all places at once right now. He's over in China. He's over in, he's everywhere that anything could be. He sees it all. So he's omniscient and they share the information. They're all the same mind. And so Jesus knows all things. And that's a great psalm. In fact, let me just read some portions of it to you that might encourage you. Psalm 139, let's look, just look at the first four verses. Again, God tests because he already knows, but we need to know because he cannot gain more information. What does it say in Psalm 139, verse 1? O Lord, David says, you have searched me and you've known me. Notice, you already know me, Lord. Before I was even born, you already knew me. And that's the truth. Isn't that what Jeremiah, what God said to Jeremiah on the day of his commissioning? He said, Jeremiah, before you were even yet in the womb, I knew you. I formed you and I made you and I had a plan for your life. Isn't that wonderful? And the same thing is true for you and I. God saw our life already beginning before we were even conceived. And he saw the end of it. He knew exactly everything in between. Doesn't that encourage you? That really encourages me because then it takes my, um, my desire to try and prove something to anyone. And it helps me to just relax. And you know that sometimes when we would just relax and let God do in us and through us the things that we think that we have to struggle and, and make happen, we actually get further along if we just would relax and let him do the work. It's when I try to get involved and I try with my own intellect to get involved that I mess things up. And it takes me longer to get to where he wants me to be. But notice, you have searched me, O Lord, and you've known me. You've known my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. That one always gets me, to think that God can see my thoughts afar off. I haven't even thought it yet, and God has already gone, in about 10 minutes, this thought's going to run across Rob's mind, and it's probably ice cream. <laughs> and so he says, you understand my thought afar off and you comprehend my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So even the words that I speak, 10 minutes from now, whatever sentence I'm going to be on, God has already heard it. He's already, he already knows it. I don't even know what I'm going to say in 10 minutes. I have no how far along I'm going to be in 10 minutes, but he knows as if it's already been recorded. And that to me is awesome. And I love what it says. Let's skip down to verse 7. This is where his omnipresence is. Where can I go from your spirit, David would say? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I don't know about you, but that is awesome news. He knows all, and we cannot hide our actions or even our thoughts from him. Again, the phrase I love so much is, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so God knows, and therefore we can relax and just enjoy him and enjoy this ride that we, that we are. We're like in this uh, um, roller coaster of righteousness with God, and if we just let him do it. And so... And God has to allow these things to prove us, again, so that we may know and are accountable. And he tests us, he chastens us in instructive correction. 
And He doesn't tempt us. And there is a difference. You remember in James chapter 1, verse 13, what does James tell us? It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, again, when we're talking about testing here, and even chastening, notice what it says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, when it's finally had the end, it brings forth death. And that is the slippery road, the slippery progression of sin. And the devil is the one who tempts, but God tests, he proves, and he even chastens. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll look at this briefly. This is a a great verse too, and it's not one that we like, but nonetheless, it is God's Word, and we can be encouraged in it. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, it says, For consider him, Paul is saying, consider Jesus, in other words, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And here's the exhortation. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. The idea of chastening is really wonderful. It really uh, is, it it talks about a cultivation of of a mind and, and morals. And it admonishes, and it, it reproves, uh, even with punishment, but it it's includes the training, even the care of the body. I mean, uh, God allows us to be chastened to, to teach us, but it's always with a purpose. There's a, there's, a, there's a goal in mind. Unlike when perhaps you were younger, and your father told you not to touch something, and you touched it, and then he just walloped you one, or he, you said something uh, a little off, and, and, and you were spanked, and maybe you didn't even realize what it was, and perhaps he, out of anger, continued to maybe spank you a few more times than perhaps what he should have. But see, God doesn't do that. When God chastens us, it's always with the intention of instructing us to righteousness. And if he didn't instruct us, let's go on here. It says, verse 6 in that same chapter, For whom the Lord chastens, or for for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every one, every son whom he receives. And the word chastens there again is, is chastisement. It's, it's a molding of the character, either by reproof or admonition. And again, it's always instruction. So if you're going through something and you're not learning, you're probably going to go through it again. You're probably going to go through whatever it is that got you into that place again. Because it's sort of like a test. You know, when your teacher gives you a test, a pretest, you fail the test, he says, well, I'm going to give you the test again, and I'm going to take the average of the two grades. You know, that's grace, isn't it? And so, but that's what God does. And he says, verse 7, he says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which we all are, have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, the King James says you're bastards. Because that's what a bastard is, is an illegitimate son or daughter. That's what that is. And so, but we are not because the Lord does chasten us. And he says, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. 
but he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyous for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, and we all know this, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that wonderful? You've been chastened by your own you know, your physical father, and then you know you've done something wrong, and he rightly um, chastened you. Maybe it was a spanking. Maybe it was sending you to your room for a day. Whatever the punishment may have been, and then he comes into the room after you've been there for a while, and he explains to you why. This is why. This is why I had to do what I had to do, and here's my heart behind it. This is the reasoning. And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a relaxation. Now the child is, is knowing that my, my father has done this to me because he loves me. If he didn't love me, he would treat me like a bastard son. He would treat me like an illegitimate where he doesn't care. But a father or mother who cares is one who chastens, and that's who God is. And that's why he, he tests, he proves, and he continued to do it, and he continues to do it today, and to us as well. He, he chastens those whom he loves. So going on here in verse 1 uh, in Judges 3, it says, now these, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Notice the wars in Canaan. And what kind of wars were these? Was this just two warring factions against each other? Was this just one nation against another? And because they, they ate different things, because they dressed a different way, maybe they even looked a little bit different. Was it just because of those differences that they hated each other like what we see today? No, it wasn't that at all. In fact, the reason why God brought them into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, was to defeat and to dispossess seven nations that had gone over the line. They had been going over the line for years. God gave them plenty of time to repent, and they did not. And so, uh, this was a holy war. And this wasn't even a war between the Israelites and the Canaanites. This was a war between God and a rebellious seven nations, and God was using his own people as the lightning rod against those seven people, those seven nations, excuse me. So it was a holy war, and they were to be a part of God's judgment against those nations and against those people. And it's interesting to see how God uses nations, even pagan, ungodly nations, against his own people. He even uses ungodly pagan nations against his own people to get them to turn to God and to repent. But he also punishes those nations as well because of their ungodliness and their idolatry. And a good example is Babylon. And God used a pagan, ungodly nation like the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to bring judgment upon his own people and even called Nebuchadnezzar, the king of that nation, his servant. He called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. This is interesting. So this is a war, a holy war between God and these people. And God was going to use his own children as judgment against this people group. And it's not unlike God to do that. We see it in the scripture. We see it here in Jeremiah 25. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, now remember, Jeremiah is prophesying during a time when Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're literally on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They got embankments, and they're basically laying a siege to the city in around 606 B.C. And so there the inhabitants are, scared to death. They're running out of food. They're starting to eat them, eat their babies because their food sources are, there's famine in the land because they're cut off from all their food supplies. 
But notice what what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the peoples of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.